Thank you, Monsignor Clavel. My warmest thanks to the Thomistic Institute, to the Angelicum University, and the Pontifical Academy of Thomas Aquinas for the invitation uh, to give this talk. Um, you can find online this URL, the text of my talk, the abridged version in English, that is the version I'm going to read, and the mo and, and more extended version in Italian. So if you want to connect online, you can download immediately the text that I'm going to read. And uh, well, the, the, uh, the title is Thomism, Nature and Science. Uh, when we place the work of Thomas Aquinas alongside the contemporary scientific thought, two seemingly contrasting feelings spontaneously arise. On the one hand, Thomas continues to attract many men and women of science, even today, because of his trust in reason, his methodological precision, and the rigorous exposition of his arguments. But on the other hand, the time that separates us from Aquinas' writings seems too long, and his view of nature too distant from our own, as to believe that his work can still illuminate our knowledge of the physical world. These are two contrasting feelings. From one side, we are attracted by, by Thomas' thought, and on the other side, we see that too much time is in between. To ask whether Thomas Aquinas' thought is still relevant to our scientific culture is therefore not a trivial question. At the epoch of Thomas Aquinas, the term scientia had a very broad sense. It denoted knowledge as a whole, within which flowed what came from the observation of nature as well as learning coming from the other fields of knowledge. The term scientist didn't exist yet, nor existed a method of knowledge of nature comparable to what we call today scientific method. Moreover, at the time of Aquinas, a comparison between science and religion was not the subject of any specific study simply because religion, for Thomas Aquinas, is a virtue belonging to the will, while knowledge of nature, as well as faith, concerned the intellect. Indeed, a comparison between faith and reason was feasible, since they were two intellectual sources of knowledge. The study of the relationship between science and theology was also possible because there were two paths traced by reason, due respectively to the, to the lumen rationis naturalis and to the lumen fidei. How to assess then Aquinas' relevance to the sciences when the sciences are understood according to their contemporary meaning? This relevance cannot be measured in terms of the insights or advice that Aquinas' thought may provide on the level of a strictly scientific understanding of reality. It is clear that this contribution 
must be sought on other grounds. I think there are three perspectives along which Aquinas' importance for, for science can be even today assessed. They are namely, a first perspective concerned the premises of scientific research. Since all scientific activity is based on philosophical and to some extent also on theological premises, if these point toward the ultimate causes of rationality and the existence of reality itself, it makes a sense even today to ask whether a Thomistic inspired philosophy and theology is capable of clarifying these premises of scientific work in their rational basis and whether Thomism does it better than other philosophical views. A second perspective concerns the rational implications of the results of science. Since the scientific results are often used to draw philosophical and sometimes even theological consequences, it makes, a it makes a sense to ask whether Aquinas' thought may help also today to judge the correctness of such inferences, unmasking inconsistencies or contradictions or positively confirming their validity. And the third perspective concerns the understanding of natural reality and the dialogue between different sources of knowledge. To penetrate reality more in depth and move toward a cognitive synthesis, the diverse sciences require a specific philosophical system. Therefore, it makes sense to ask whether a philosophy inspired by Thomas Aquinas provides a deeper insight into natural reality, especially when the signs point toward the search for unifying and global causes. Unable to address the topic in its full extent, I will focus mainly on the natural sciences without neglecting, when necessary, the life sciences and anthropology. And these are the three steps that I'm going to show. My study is organized in three parts. Part one is a bibliographic review of the major publications that have appeared in the time between now and the past, and the past International Thomistic Conference uh, uh, more than 20 years ago. And in the Italian extended version, you will find, you will find also a comment on a number of these articles. In this short talk, I'm able only to, uh, uh, to gather um, around the specific key issues a number of articles published in these years. Part two examines the relevance of Thomas Aquinas to the dialogue with the natural sciences, briefly developing each of the three perspectives mentioned earlier. That is, the contribution to clarifying the philosophical premises of science, judging the correctness of their implications, and deepening the intelligibility of their analysis on reality. Part three exposes the new questions that the sciences pose today to Thomistic philosophy, suggesting 
what the synthesis between the sciences, philosophy, and theology, Aquinas thought, could still inspire. First chapter, Thomistic Thought and the Natural Sciences, a short look at studies and essays published in the recent decades. When considering the dialogue with the sciences, the topic that counts the largest number of articles published in the last 20 or 30 years is undoubtedly the Thomistic Doctrine on Causality. Revisited from a variety of perspectives, always in close connection with its Aristotelian root. The work published in the last decades ascribed to Aquinas three main merits. First merit, to endorse a methodological naturalism. I emphasize methodological naturalism, which does not imply any ontological reductionism. Second merit that the authors ascribe to Thomas, to promote the understanding of the autonomy of creatures, which is neither apparent nor occasional, but really rooted in a self-ruled causality. And the third merit the authors ascribe is to convey a truly transcendent image of God the Creator when investigating the relations between God and the nature. The main fields of application of the Aristotelian Thomistic understanding of causality are basically three. First, the relation between creation and physical cosmology, where the authors study the relationship between first cause and second causes, the problem of the origin of time, the question of the ontological foundation of reality, and the possible presence of teleology on a cosmic scale. Second, the doctrine of causality is applied to the study of divine action in nature, which includes the theme of miracles, the study of divine providence, and the demanding issue of physical evil. Third, a Thomistic doctrine of causality is used to tackle the relationship between creation and evolution, especially in the biological field, but sometimes also in the cosmological field. Finally, in the broad topic of causality, there is room at various levels and with different applications for reflections on the laws of nature, the relationship between chance and finality, and the different approach provided by Aquinas teleology when compared to the advocates of intelligent design. And author stresses the difference between the two approaches. Immediately, immediately after these studies dealing with the doctrine of causality, the largest number of works which refers to Thomas' thought concerned the field of epistemology. Aquinas is highly regarded for his ability to bring order among the different sciences, explaining their interrelation and preserving their autonomy. 
Authors put Aquinas in sociology in dialogue with the various approaches of contemporary philosophy of knowledge, often to emphasize the epistemological realism and the search for truth as the two essential coordinates of scientific work, epistemological realism and search for truth. Following a theological perspective, Aquinas' reflection on the uniqueness of truth and his view on the relation between faith and reason are put to the service of a better understanding of the act of faith in a theological domain. Also in the epistemological area, we found the presence of a Thomistic inspiration in those contemporary authors who try to reassess the unity of knowledge and wish to underline the philosophical premise of scientific knowledge. A third rapidly growing topic is that of neuroscience. Publications employing Aquinas' thought seem to offer two developments of this area of study. The first, which has now become mainstream, concerns the search for solutions to describe the relationship between soul and body when examined within the framework of the contemporary mind-body problem. The second concerns the understanding of feelings, affects, and emotions in the light of a Thomistic-inspired anthropology placed in dialogue with contemporary studies on the phenomenology of the neural system and brain activity. The holistic view of the soul as a form of the body provided by the Aristotelian Thomistic approach regains relevance today because it is in tune with the scientific perspective of the embodiment. This approach interprets the human operations of will, emotions, and sense knowledge as deeply rooted in corporeity emphasizing the psychosomatic and holistic dimension of human actions, just like Aquinas did in his times. Most of the publications are authored by philosophers and only a minority by theologians. So this is a result where when you see to all the publications in the last 20 or 30 years, the, 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 the majority of authors uh, which apply Thomistic inspiration to uh, dialogue with science are philosophers, very minority theologians. Second part, the contribution of a Thomistic inspired philosophy to contemporary scientific thought and to interdisciplinary dialogue. There are well-founded reasons to state that the Thomistic inspiration is still working today in the dialogue between science, philosophy, and theology. I will try to show this according to the three perspectives mentioned earlier, namely the role of Thomism in shedding light on the metaphysical presupposition of scientific activity, the role of Thomism in correctly assessing the philosophical implications that some might infer from certain results of sciences, and then the role of Thomism in fostering a deeper understanding of natural reality. 
Let's begin by the first, the philosophical foundation of scientific activity. Aquinas' epistemology is rooted in a sound cognitive realism. He insisted on the primacy of sense knowledge without confining it to the knowing of concrete particulars alone, but allowing knowledge to ascend through abstraction to the true understanding of general principles. Knowledge arises from the senses, but goes beyond them. A well-known intimation inside is that the knowledge is an encounter between the rationality present in things and that present in our minds, not the mere projection of our mental categories onto the material world. Such a view is in good agreement with the well-established scientific practice that experimental work is nothing but a dialogue between the researcher and nature, a dialogue always open to correction and improvement whose, whose ultimate sources lies in reality itself. Following the footsteps of Aristotle's, of Aristotle, Aquinas' way of thinking enables scientific analysis to truly understand itself as a shire per causas. The non-instrumental relationship between first cause and second, cause, second causes grounds the authenticity of true autonomous creaturely causality, thus laying the foundation for one being able to do science. From this point of view, St. Thomas makes a strategic unification of Plato's metaphysics of participation and Aristotle's metaphysics of substance. Put in light well by Cornelio Fabro in the past decades. The former, Plato, is more attentive to exemplary causality. The latter, Aristotle, is more attentive to efficient causality. He does so by means of a metaphysics of an actus exendi, and thanks to intensive concept of being. The Thomistic synthesis, which presents every creature as a composition of essence and act of being, placing the origin of both in transcendent divine causality, provides the philosophical premises for the scientific study of all material entities. In fact, in order for science to study its object, to do science, it is necessary for things to be, and to be according to a specific essence, that is specific nature. These are mainly the premises of science. Things are and are according to specific nature. Also relevant to science in Aquinas' view, of the cosmos as an ordered structure, according to the dual perspective, ordo rerum ad invicem, a hierarchically ordered structure of created things, and that of ordo rerum ad deum, divine providence. Such a view represents the necessary presuppositions of all scientific research as a search for order. The fruitfulness of this perspective is evident when science approaches nature according to mathematical criteria or when it sheds light 
on the low, lawful behavior of material entities. It is possible to show that this view remains fruitful even when science studies phenomena subject to computational indeterminism or operates within the theoretical frameworks of quantum mechanics and complexity. It is, moreover, the Aristotelian Thomistic doctrine of analogy that is of a primary interest in scientific work. It makes possible to link the empirical nature of entities, hence insofar as measurable, and the philosophical metaphysical principles that allows entity to be such, ens ut mobile et ens ut ens, showing more easily the resemblance of the philosophical foundation of science. Analogy is employed by the sciences to describe on the, on the logical level what reality is on the ontological level. In this way, the natural laws that are valid for a known case under study can be successfully applied to the right laws that operate in a lesser known cases and in the universe as a whole. The second perspective was the possible implication of scientific result, how a Thomistic inspired the thought can help us to, uh, um, to evaluate uh, uh, the, the, um, the correctness of these implications. A deep understanding of the transcendence of a God, the creator, and the employment of a correct epistemology provide us with intellectual tools to control the genuine implication of some scientific results over philosophy and also over theology. Even today, Thomistic thought can be successfully employed, but to do not describe to science what science could not say, and to avoid the science's manipulation by ideologies or inaccurate philosophy, which is quite frequent today. In the debate between Christian faith and the natural sciences, most of the problems arise because of erroneous or unsatisfactory views of the relationship between God and the nature. By grounding the divine causality in the participation of the act of being and in conferring a specific essence, nature, to every material entity, St. Thomas proposes an image of God that does not interfere with the ordinary, ordinary scientific description of empirical reality nor with the search for secondary causes that govern its phenomena. As repeatedly highlighted by various authors, by privileging the understanding of creation as a relation, as a continuous act that transcends time, Aquinas' thought allows us to clarify, even today, many boundary conditions, many boundary questions between physical cosmology and theology of creation, overcoming the false dialectic of those who wanted to establish whether the action of a creator is something necessary or superfluous. 
The causation by which the pure act of being gives a reason for the existence of the world does not concern any motion or change, as we know, and thus surpasses the problem of the first move. Understanding creation of the cosmos as a relationship between the creature and God becomes particularly fruitful when clarifying the difference between a radical causal origin and the beginning of time. In philosophical terms, this contributes to freeing those cosmological models which predict a gravitational space-time singularity from the burden of having to confirm a theology of creation. The Thomistic view of God's causality in creation, together with the distinction between essence and act of being, can easily show the necessity of a creator also for those cosmological models that interpret the beginning of the physical universe as the appearance of a quantum object or place its origin in a plurality of mutual independent space-time regions as the multi-universe uh, multi model. In both cases, we are dealing with measurable entities with specific natures, essences, and natural laws which precede and govern all empirical phenomenology, whose existence on the ontological level cannot be deduced from the measures made on the empirical level. So Thomas Aquinas helps to put things in order also in this field. It is still Aquinas' doctrine of causality that allows us to correctly set up the relations between creation in theology and evolution in cosmology or in biology, avoiding fallacious deductions which try to deny the role of a creator as dator formarum. Even if we were to limit evolutionary mechanism to a neo-Darwinian framework, the randomness of genetic mutations on the plane of phenomena does not imply the absence of ends on the ontological plane, where the relationship between creator and creatures ultimately resides. Aquinas readily admits the action of chance in nature without thereby inferring the impotence or the non-existence of God. In a more general way, the government of the natural world is carried out by God through the nature of each entity, which is the reason of a formal causality. The action of a formal causality, even in what governs the interaction with other entities, expresses the tendency toward a final causality. Thus, in order to affirm the existence of a, theolo of a thele theleology in nature, it is not necessary to admit the extrinsic action of God on the level of efficient causality. But it is necessary only to recognize that God is the final cause that governs everything, because it is he who wants every formal cause, along with its quiditas. It's a he who wants everything just as it is and not otherwise. 
St. Thomas' philosophical theological approach reconciles not only the relationship between creation and evolution, but also the apparent conflict between a universe of entity and forms and the universe of events and processes. This is one of the micro-hour area mentioned by Professor Mantovani in the first talk. Within a more philosophical approach, it must be said that the first cause to which the design of the world belongs transcends the empirical order, while a teleological approach specifies that this transcendence concerns the level of a personal intentionality. A merely quantitative knowledge proper to the empirical level cannot have any access to the ultimate reason of a personal intentional project, which is the, which is the level of the first cause. Regarding the subject of miracle, a topic traditionally associated with the relationship between faith and reason, St. Thomas affirms that miracles have God as their author and concerns causes that remain unknown to us in, on the empirical level. Therefore, strictly speaking, it is not up to science to affirm or deny what a miracle is. Aquinas offers two important clarifications that are still useful today in dialogue between theology and the science on the issue of miracles. The first clarification is that the miracle always possesses an ontological dimension and cannot be reduced to its anthropological and semiological dimensions. Something truly happens in nature at the ontological level. Um, Second, Thomas Aquinas makes it clear that miracles operate outside of the order of nature, not against nature, thus protecting theology from fallacious implications of those who, starting from the empirical order, wanted to show the conflicting or even irrational character of all miraculous events, from Voltaire and Spinoza onward. If we turn our attention to narrow sciences, the placing of the main functions traditionally associated with the spiritual life of human beings, such as memory, emotions, imagination, feelings, in a specific brain areas, has led the many to call into debate the existence of a non-material principle which could play the role usually assigned to the human soul. Again, the Thomistic perspective can help us to clarify matters. St. Thomas has no difficulty in locating sensory, cognitive, and even behavioral dysfunctions in the physiological dimension of the human being as an animal, arguing that the bodily and material dimensions of the brain can truly affect psychic activity. Thanks to understanding the relationship between soul and body as a helomorphic, the fact that the higher so-called spiritual functions are rooted in a material and bodily dimension does not make the non-material form of the human being superfluous. Indeed, the latter is aimed at making human, that is unified by a single uh, conscious self, 
the diverse operations of the subject, as the, if they arose from a single vital principle, the self. Identity and intentionality are not replaced by the narrow dimension of the brain. This letter belongs to a personal subject, the human being, which transcends that physiological dimension. Third perspective in which Thomas Aquinas can help us even today, the intelligibility of natural reality and the dialogue between different sources of knowledge. A third group of reflections concerns finally the contribution of Thomism to a better understanding of the material reality that is the very object of science. If we credit Aristotelian Thomistic philosophy with the formal and rigorous development of the use of analogy, it would be not an exaggeration to say that Thomas Aquinas' first contribution to the sciences was that he made possible the use of models in science. As an established scientific strategy for studying natural phenomena and predicting their future behavior. Indeed, it is on analogy that the employment and application of models are based, whether in physics, chemistry, biology, or many other fields. And it is on abstraction, still a key element of Thomistic gnoseology, that the ability to mathematize models is founded, transforming them into powerful tools of knowledge. Is Aquinas unified the view of truth, a view capable of relating the different sources of knowledge to one another? Reality is the effect of a unique God, not a collection of fragments that science composes. The world is a unified project that emerged from the mind of the creator Logos, an ordered cosmos that God leads toward its fulfillment. The uniqueness of truth, on which Thomas Aquinas places a very special emphasis, unifies the knowledge of reality and makes the approaches of different disciplines contribute positively to one another, including philosophy and theology. All access to truth from whichever side or from whomever author it comes, it is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Thomistic thought, therefore, is capable of inspiring a coherent unity of knowledge where the various disciplines are organized into hierarchical levels of intelligibility according to their different formal ob object. The proper boundaries of each discipline are no longer read as limits that divide and fragment. Instead, they are seen as connections that unite. If the natural sciences need a philosophy of nature, it is not because they find a limit or an obstacle beyond which they can no longer proceed. It is because they find a foundation, namely the very existence of those philosophical assumptions that makes a scientific analysis possible. For a better understanding of physical and biological reality, the Aristotelian Thomistic notion of nature 
here understood as the operative principle of the entity, also proves to be particularly fruitful. This notion fosters the comprehensions of the stable properties of the material entity, the universality of its formal specificities, its lawful behavior, and the universality of the laws of nature. The metaphysical notion of nature also enables a proper distinction between natural laws and scientific laws, making it clear to us that we can handle only the latter, namely scientific laws, but not the former, laws of nature. Phenomena that are present with the characters of indeterminism, unpredictability, and complexity do not violate the formal specificity of natures, but only indicate that they cannot be formalized or quantified in an exhaustive, infinite way by means of scientific laws. The re-evaluation in biology of notions of a form and the informations, as well as the relation and systemic approaches, seem to endorse again the wish to understand life from the living, as Aristotle and Thomas already did. By studying its own form, we overcome those attempts to understand life as a composition of elements extrinsic to each other typical of biological reductionism and biomolecular mechanism. Life is not just an emergent property of matter, but really new strategy of immanence. Third and last point, a look toward the future. Challenges and opportunities brought about by contemporary scientific thinking. So far, the analysis of the present. What are the challenges that a thought inspired by Thomas Aquinas will encounter in the future when engaging in a dialogue with the sciences? I personally believe that the most important challenge does not come from one or another highly specialized field of research. The real challenge, in my opinion, is the formation of new young scholars, experts, in Thomas Aquinas' thought. This is the challenge. Eh? Formation of young scholars, experts in Thomas Aquinas' thought. There is a need to continue the work that Thomas didn't carry out, simply because his age was not our age. There is a need to work as he would have done had he lived in our day. However, looking toward the future, a number of strategic fields of research require more attention. Let me mention only four of them very telegraphically. <laughs> First, the subject matter of, of causality. Causality today is not causality as in the 13th and 14th century. And even causality today is not causality uh, at the beginning of the 20th century. We have complexity. We have a uh, Causality from a whole to the part. We have up-down, but also bottom-up causality. We, we have non-local uh, problems. We have complexity. So we had to rethink how to apply doctrine of causality on contemporary problems. 
Then a more extensive application second to philosophy of life sciences is also needed today. Studies employing Aquinas, study, uh, studies employing Aquinas of thought in the biological sciences are considerably fewer in number than studies regarding physical sciences. This is probably due both to the greater role that physics historically played and also to the absence of Aquinas' commentaries on Aristotle's biological and zoological works. It is time for philosophy of biology to move beyond the debate between creation and evolution and aim for a better understanding of life as a form of the living, as a perspective which Aristotelian Thomistic thought would still have much to tell us today. Third area, the study of divine action in nature. Fourth area, the ecological issue brings along some important challenges. Usually developed from a Franciscan, Franciscan Bonaventurian perspective, it makes a sense to ask whether there is a specific Thomistic perspective on ecology, on the care of safeguarding our common home. Some attempts have been recently developed in the United States under the name Green Thomism. While a Franciscan framework privileges the line of exemplarity, a Thomistic view is expected to emphasize relationality, hierarchical ordering among creatures, and finalism. As we have seen, contemporary scientific thought willingly endorses a relational structure of nature in physics, in quantum mechanics, and biology. An interesting dialogue between Thomism and scientific thought is possible also here, according to the interdisciplinary perspective uh, that has to include also theology. It is theology, in fact, which reveals that the root sustaining the relational, the relational logic present in the whole of creation and then in the, all, in the whole ecological system is ultimately a Trinitarian logic. On this approach, Bonaventure and Thomas would certainly agree. Last slide. Finally, Thomistic thought will always be useful to show the fallacy of those rational arguments which are intended to contradict some truths of faith transmitted by revelation. Even in the future, St. Thomas will help us to bring order, to clarify matters, to understand what science says and what it could never say. In conclusion, I believe that there are good grounds for thinking that the reasons that determine the quasi-successful establishment of the relationship between philosophy, theology, and the sciences of his time still hold their value in our times, despite of the fast progress of scientific knowledge. Thomas, after all, and first of all, is a method, a method that continues to inspire the interdisciplinary work which 21st century philosophy and theology are called to carry out. Thank you for your patience.